disappointed when player gift bags didn't actually contain a sugar bowl. Clemson plays in four days, and life is good. Welcome back, everybody. This is your host, Nick. I'm joined today by Ben, and we are the Clemson Podcast. We welcome our first-time listeners, or those just getting to know us, 
And we also thank our longtime loyal listeners for tuning back in. Um, we are the Clemson Podcast. We're three alumni um, talking about Clemson sports. And Ben, uh, it's just you and I tonight. We're missing our third co-host, Cody. What's Cody up to? He stood us up and ditched us for a hockey game in football season. Like, and like who, who does that? And, and like we're playing in our third straight college football playoff. I mean, it's hockey. We're American. We're not Canadian. We're not Scandinavian. We're not Eastern European. We will miss Cody in this show. Hope to get him back for the Sugar Bowl re- uh, recap and then optimally the national championship preview game as well. So uh, Cody will be missed, but we will forge ahead. Um, this is our Sugar Bowl preview episode, Ben. Let's get right into this. A lot of thoughts here on this game. Um, we'll also touch, I imagine if we have time here on the Rose Bowl matchup, talk about who um, our next opponent could be um, coming out of that one. But it's really, for me, all about this game in New Orleans coming up on Monday night. Um, this is the final bowl game, final game of bowl season. It's really the nightcap on a jam-packed New Year's Day. It's kind of unfortunate there's so many other games that day. I mean, there's definitely some good matchups I was looking forward to watching. And we're going to be playing Alabama. I, I'm not going to be able to focus on those games. Yeah, when well, you have the, I mean, obviously the other uh, playoff game going on before that. Um, so, no, it's just, it's kind of cool, you know, sitting here going into our third year in a row in the college football playoff. It's crazy how this has become the new normal for Clemson. And it really, I don't even know if it's really sunken in yet because going into this year, we didn't expect to be back, but this really just says a lot about the coaching staff, the guys on this team, because, you know, a lot of these guys didn't necessarily play or have a big part of the team the last couple of years. So for them to return, um, and then also the leadership from the university, you know, this all started under, uh, Jim Barker and Terry Don Phillips. And you've seen Jim Clements and D-Rad really, you know, buy into it and keep the, the thing going. I mean, this has taken a, a little bit of time to build, but if you're trying to build a college football uh, dynasty or, you know, a dominant college football team, look no further for a recipe than what uh, Dabo and Clemson has, has done with this program. Yeah, and something I wasn't planning to talk about, but I sent a tweet out. Um, this was in response to something Alex Kraft sent out. Um, the new you know, federal tax rule, federal tax bill that, that changed how taxes are being appropriated um, from Americans will change actually how, um, you know, alumni donations are able to impact athletics. And I don't, I won't necessarily call it foresight on the behalf of our athletic department or our coaching staff, but we are lucky in that Clemson has upgraded a lot of its facilities and has completed that um, here in the last, you know, three, four, so five prior, years. prior to this happening, prior to this happening. Yeah. And now it's going to be harder for our opponent schools, the likes of Florida state and, you know, um, others around, let's call it just all of college football to, to play catch up on facilities. We stand in a pretty good position. So I just thought I'd throw that in there as like a kind of a, you mentioned, you know, you, you kind of need to have that buy-in through all levels of president of the school, athletic department, head coach. They all have to be on the same page. You need a little bit of luck with timing. But they've invested in the right ways in the right areas. You know, you talk about the coordinator staff and what we've been able to do from a budget standpoint with their salaries. Um, you know, it's it's really a solid time overall. Yeah, it really is. And the tax stuff I wasn't even aware of. You know, I don't really pay taxes, so I wasn't paying attention to that bill. So <laughs> hopefully no IRS individuals are, <laughs> are listening. <laughs> um, well, kind of sticking with a similar theme. And before we get into this game analysis, how does this game feel different? Um, on the surface as a Clemson fan against Alabama, the three match, then the last two kind of coming into this game? Well, I think this is the first time where even though Vegas has this as an underdog that we really feel like we're the better team. Uh, You know, the first year 
we didn't really know if we were going to be able to go toe to toe with Alabama. And we came out of that game, even though we lost, uh, feeling really good about the direction of the program and, and the team, knowing that we had Deshaun Watson coming back the following year. Uh, and then last year going into the game, we knew as a, as a fan base and the team, obviously you could tell they knew this as well, that that Clemson team was up to the challenge. Um, but then again, going into this season, we didn't think we'd be back. We penciled in Alabama at number one, as everybody else did. And you're like, okay, they're going to make it. The SEC has been down, and they're still a really good football team with a lot of talent and a great head coach. Whereas Clemson had just lost a generational talent, the best player in program history. As the season goes along, you start feeling more comfortable with Kelly Bryant uh, behind center. And obviously, the defense was just absolutely dominant for the most part all year long. And as the season goes along, you start to realize that this team can compete, even after the the loss to Syracuse. And then, lo and behold, at the end of the year, nobody wants to stay up there in the number one spot. And Clemson lands there as the number one team. And as you sit back and look, like, yeah, this team has warts, uh, but every team in the college football playoff does. You know, Alabama's offense is, is can be made stagnant by a really good defense. Uh, Georgia, we're still not we really don't know what to expect out of, out of Georgia yet. Um, they're going to have to prove themselves a little bit more, and we'll see what they can do against Oklahoma. Uh, and then Oklahoma, they have no defense, great offense, no defense. So every every team has their warts. And I, you know, personally, for me, I feel confident in, in Clemson right now more so probably than I have the past couple years going into the game against Alabama. Now that doesn't mean it doesn't say anything to how I feel about whichever team we may play if we win this game because I haven't looked into them as much. But specifically talking about Alabama, I feel pretty confident going into the game. <clears throat> yeah, you made some great points there. I think for me, one, uh, kind of to stick with some of the same thoughts you had at the very end there, like I felt like going in last year, we knew after round one against Alabama, the 2016 game, or played in 2016, off the 2015 season, it was all about like, you know, where are we? Could we win this thing? Could we win, rattle off 15 straight and just have, you know, a dream season? Um, and we came up just a little bit short. I think last year going in, it was like tough Ohio State team. We didn't really know necessarily what how we were going to fare against them. But um, really it was about we're kind of teetering on the brink a little bit. You know, if we were to lose to Ohio State or Alabama again, did a window just close on us? Was this our chance? Were we going to be able to miss that? And there was just even though there was like quiet, calm confidence among the fan base, there, there were a lot of implications to not winning that were there. And thankfully we, we took care of business. We got the win, um, and the title and everything else. Um, but I think this year, like you touched on it, just different expectations through coming into the season. But I think coming into this, you know, we've got as good a shot as any, you know, to win this, win this. And, you know, I kind of share some of your optimism against Alabama, us being probably the better, more complete football team. Um, which is crazy to say, knowing that they've been the gold standard. And then I, I also like our chances in the other game. Um, and we'll, I'll t- we'll, we'll bring it up when we talk about the Rose Bowl, You know who you'd prefer to, to see Clemson face in a national championship game coming out of the Rose Bowl. But um, I don't know necessarily that even though we were, um, what, 13-0 coming in two years ago and um, you know what, what we had coming in last year, I don't know that we felt as confident as we, as we do this year. Yeah, and it's crazy. And again, that just speaks to the guys on this team who have bought in. And obviously, Kelly Bryant, though he hadn't had a lot of playing time in his time here at Clemson prior to this season, he's obviously put in the work. I mean, you can tell that work has been put in off the field just by the way that he has come in and played this year. And and that can be said for a lot of other guys, um, plugging guys in like Trey Trey Lamar with the uh, departure of Ben Bulware, uh, Austin Bryant coming back healthy this year and other guys that just have continued to improve. So 
it, it, it's, it's odd. And I, I think part of our confidence, again, is because there is not one really elite team, or at least it doesn't look like that this year, like there have been in years past. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's just a really good feeling and it, I'm really excited for this game on Monday. Um, yeah. and, and to go in their confidence and I don't think it's, I don't, I, I think if there's going to be one team that wins by double digits, that's going to favor Clemson more than Alabama. Right. I think I agree with you on that. Um, I've been consuming as much kind of preview content as possible, not just in prep for this show, but just, you know, we've had a lot of time off between games and been just obsessed with this matchup coming up um one of the main storylines that i've heard from the national pundits has has been talking about the time off favoring alabama i wanted to give you a chance to comment on that i think the only thing within that that i find to be valid is the fact that they have played one less game they've had an extra week off because they did not make it to the title game in the sec um but to be honest like so maybe that's one one week of less wear and tear one week you know less opportunity to get injured um but anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The funny thing is they've had guys get injured in that time off. Um, Moses, one of their linebackers, and they're already depleted at linebacker. I don't really uh, think there's anything to them having that extra week off just because Clemson got four weeks off. You don't need much more than that, and Clemson's getting everybody back healthy. If anything, it might make you a little bit more rusty. Clemson got a good big-time in-game experience against Miami. Again, a lot of these kids, uh, even though even though they may have been on the team, uh, the last couple of years, they didn't necessarily play in the game. So getting that big time experience helps. And the same can be said for Alabama. They've got guys on the team that haven't played in the last couple of years. So I, don't, I really don't uh, see anything there. And the whole, the whole idea about Nick Saban having all this time off to, to pick you apart. You know what? Clemson has really good coaches, too. Clemson has really good support staff, too. Give Brent Venables a month off to dissect a weak Alabama defense and, and find what weaknesses that they need to prey on. Uh, give Tony, Tony Elliott, Burles Award winner, again, that's two years in a row we had the top assistants in the country. Give him a month off to fine-tune this offense. And remember, this offense didn't really show a lot, didn't have to, especially the last couple games of the year because we were blowing people out. So does Nick Saban really have a lot on tape to pick apart? I don't know. Yeah, probably not as much as in previous years. Um, yeah, I think I think you do, and Cody mentioned this you know, when we, when we talked about it before uh, before we sat down today. Uh, I think you do get a, a set of diminishing returns with their army of analysts, you know, paid six figure analysts crunching film nonstop um, in grandma's basement in Tuscaloosa. Uh, I think, yeah, you touched on it. it gives Clemson just as much time. You know, we probably have fewer resources than they do. But, um, you know, I, I think it's pretty level playing field there. And a lot of people talk about and we'll we'll get into this when we speak about Alabama's defense, the the layoff helping favor them from a health standpoint. And you touched on, they have had some guys go down during the practice sessions um, coming into this game. But um, what about Clemson? What about favoring, you know, guys like Mark Fields, Marcus Edmond, Trey Lamar to get healthy again? Dexter Lawrence. Dexter Lawrence, we expect to come back basically 100% coming off that, the the toe ailment that's been hurting him all year. And Kendall Joseph has actually been a little bit nicked up too. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I think like all the, the rest helps both ways. The game plan edge goes, goes both ways. These are two really solid elite coaching staffs. Um, for me, you know, again, if anything, it was going to be that extra week off that Alabama had not playing a championship game um, just from a, an, a little bit extra rest, you know, maybe no additional opportunity to get injured. Well, I don't think they got any additional practices getting that extra week off. And not to mention, don't forget about the early signing period now. Like some of that time had to be focused on recruiting. Now that went 
both ways for both teams, but I, I don't put a lot of stock into it. I don't think it's a big deal. I think a bigger deal, and I wonder how much this really affects the team, uh, the fact that uh, Jeremy Pruitt is also the current Tennessee head coach, and he's had to do some recruiting with that early signing period. So him having to go both ways um, is an interesting thing for me. I mean, I, I don't know how much of a difference it made, the fact that Lane Kiffin uh, left a week before the game last year. Um, but I think maybe more of an impact could be Jeremy Pruitt because he might be stretched thin. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that'll be a great transition here on moving into Alabama's defense. Um, I've listened to a couple of podcasts. I think it was the Athlon Sports cover two guys saying um, Pruitt has coached at Georgia, Florida State, you know, now Alabama. He knows the deal of playing in marquee games and how to get his guys ready. I have to imagine this is having some effect on his his coaching, his preparation, his you know keeping that unit all on the same page. I don't think it's going to be enough to, to have that lose them the game, but it certainly, you know, is a distraction. Well, at the very least it's affecting his sleep. I mean, to be able to put all the preparation that needs to go in to playing, uh, in a college football playoff bowl game against an elite team like Clemson. And then also as much as it takes to recruit, I mean, he, Tennessee's a dumpster fire, so he has to put some effort into that to try yeah. to get them off and running on the right foot next year. So, I think there is something to be said there. Uh, we'll see. I still expect Alabama's defense to come out and and give Clemson a, a pretty good challenge. Um, but it remains to be seen, but it is an interesting nugget to talk about. And I think the the last thing uh, for me, uh, you see this go around in a few articles um, from the national media and places like TigerNet, um, asking it, people noticing that it seems like Alabama's a little tight. You know, we all know Nick Saban, not a guy who like seems to like to have fun. Um, so a lot of that going around as they're talking to Clemson players in these pregame uh, press conferences, noticing how loose and they're all smiles and laughing and that Alabama players are just stern, tight-lipped, and, you know, just you know, serious and to the point where it could be a detriment. Again, I don't put a lot of stock in that either. Um, Nick Saban coaches the way he does and wins national championships, and Dabo the coaches the way he does and won a national championship. There's more than one way to skin a cat. Um, you know, it's concerning Alabama and the rules uh, that they set. You know, the players, the team leadership sets the curfew for the team. And so I think that speaks a lot uh, to really both teams, but to the Alabama players, just how mature they are being such young college kids to be able to do that and take things so seriously and put in the effort and prep and not be distracted. Same time on the Clemson side, uh, that shows some maturity on, on their part, the way they are, be able to, they are able to be loose and relaxed and have fun with it while still uh, bringing that businessman-like mentality. Again, more than one way to skin a cat. I don't put a lot of stock into that. This is a Nick Saban coach team. I don't expect them to be too tight. I expect them to give Clemson a pretty good challenge. Ben, before we talk about that matchup, um, we wanted to take a moment to encourage you all to uh, subscribe to our show, follow us on social media. We've got accounts we're pretty active on over on Twitter and Facebook. You can find us there under Clemson Podcast or at Clemson Podcast. Um, we do interact with a lot of our listeners, so we'd love to hear from you guys. Um, we will be tweeting and posting kind of throughout bowl season here, throughout the playoff. Um, so really look, look forward to engaging with you all there. Um, and if you have not yet taken the chance to do so, we encourage you guys, to, if you like what you hear, to please go over to iTunes, um, search for the Clemson podcast, and leave us a review. Um, I took a look, Ben, the other day, and we're actually up to 60 reviews now, averaging five stars looks pretty similar to Clemson's recruiting class. Yeah, that's not too shabby. I actually just recently figured out how to get onto iTunes and uh, read the reviews, so that's pretty cool. Um, and then also, uh, 
If you like our Facebook posts, we appreciate that, but also share them. Uh, that would help us get out to a wider community that's not already connected to the podcast uh, through our friend base or through people who are actually following the podcast. So a share goes a long way. We appreciate that. Yeah, we've actually picked up a number of new iTunes reviews over the last month. Appreciate you guys who have done that. Um, some Southern California love here, it looks like, from um, D. Hiebo. And then uh, our most recent review is actually a couple days before Christmas. It's like 18 consonants in a row in the username, so I can't, I'm not going to read that. But appreciate uh, those reviews from you all. Thank you. Yeah, and then a shout-out to Mac Richmond from Facebook. Got a, a good comment from him not too long ago. Again, appreciate all that interaction there. And then uh, some recent likes and shares on SoundCloud. The, uh, the infamous Uncle Billy has finally gotten on there and figured out how to do it. You guys might uh, recognize him from uh, the photo I shared on Facebook with him and his Clemson golf cart. Thanks to Uncle Billy. Also Tiger John 2, Tanner K. Joy. He's always very active uh, across all mediums. And then uh, a new one from Style Missiles. Don't know what that means, but I like the name. For sure. Uh, Good stuff. We really appreciate all all the listens, all the loyalty you guys have shown to the podcast. Um, And again, you know, there's nothing better really than in addition to those reviews, uh, spreading the word and, you know, continue to engage. So we appreciate that. Okay, let's get into this Bama defense versus Clemson offensive matchup. Ben, I want to start here with the storyline that I think has been kind of the prevailing thought among my Clemson fan friends, um, those that I've read, and sort of the national media. It's kind of a storyline that I think has been referenced the most here. And that is Alabama's defensive identity and their health um, coming down the stretch. And I want to do a hat tip to one of America's literary heroes, Mark Twain. I think my statement here is the rumors of Alabama's defensive demise have been greatly exaggerated. Um, they are a great defense. They're an excellent defense. They're number three in the country, um, just behind Clemson at number two. They're just not all-time Alabama great. And I do want to touch on kind of their the injuries that they've that they've sustained, how they looked against Auburn, you know, the, the types of offenses they've played. Um, but I think really the, the the way I'd like to view this defense is a little bit more in the context of who are the other defenses Clemson has played this year on our schedule? What other opponents have we faced? And how should we be calibrating this Alabama defense against that? Not holding them to some standard of the 2016 team, which is basically an all-time great defense, or even the 2015 team, you know, Reggie Ragland and those guys who are Sean Robinson, et cetera, who are also otherworldly. Um, your thoughts? Well, first, you're right. The biggest weakness on this Alabama football team is not on defense. It's on offense. Um, so this is still going to be a very well-coached, a very talented, a hard-hitting, disciplined Alabama defense. Now, we don't want to dismiss the fact that they are suffering a lot of uh, injuries and missing some guys at the linebacker position, and that's going to hurt them. I mean, how can it not? Uh, but for the most part, I mean, Clemson's not going to be able to walk out there um, and run right over them. I, at least I don't believe so. You know, if you talk about defenses we faced, it's funny because we really only struggled against one defense all year long. And, you know, Syracuse game aside, and that was Auburn uh, when we put up 14 points. But we really didn't try to put up more than 14 when we were seeing that uh, their offense wasn't really able to move the ball and we were kind of bringing Kelly Bryant along slowly. But other than that, you know, good defenses that we face or perceived good defenses that we face in Virginia Tech and North Carolina State, we put up some points on them. Uh, so the Auburn game, looking back, is really all I have to compare it to. Now, really when it comes down to it, and this is easy to say, this discussion starts and ends with Kelly Bryant, in my opinion. 
But but what does that really mean? You know, running and scrambling quarterbacks have given Alabama fits historically over the past few years. You look at guys like Deshaun Watson, uh, Stidham from Auburn, Dak Prescott, Johnny Manziel. Um, so those have been the key difference makers. So when you look to a guy like Kelly Bryant, he's a running and scrambling quarterback. So I, I think it starts with him. It starts with uh, obviously what he can do with his legs, but then also his development in the passing game and how we've seen that progress as the season has come along and also what he's able to do um, in these few weeks of bowl practice leading up to this game. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I think in, in breaking this one down and looking kind of where the, where the matchups stand, I think you made a good point about uh, Kelly Bryant's pedigree against like a Nick Fitzgerald, let's say, who had a good amount of success, um, and then Mond at Texas A&M this year. Um, I think it, it it is a matter of yes, can Kelly Bryant you know hurt them with his legs? But I think more so, you're right in that the linebacker core, you know, that is something I I hope at least that Tony Elliott will go after early, early and often, and figure out like how rusty are they? Are they a step slow? And he could do that in a number of interesting ways. But I think really the the first couple drives, first couple series are going to be, let's feel that out. Let's see um, what that defense is giving you. Yeah, I mean, and again, prey on their weakness, right? With a team like Alabama, as good as they are, you have to pick out their few weaknesses and prey on them. An interesting stat, and I guess I kind of realized this was going on, but hadn't gone back and looked into it. But over Clemson's last two games against Miami and South Carolina, um, I, I took a look at the first half TD drives, and Clemson has been opening the game up by passing early and often. Um on plays outside the 20, they pass two games again on these first half touchdown drives. They pass the ball 63% of the time outside the 20-yard line. So they've been throwing the ball quite a bit more. Now, it's a different story once they get inside the 20. They're running at 94% of the time. I think out of uh, out of like uh, 20, uh, within the 20, there was like 10 rushes and they only passed it one time. That was a touchdown to Hunter Renfro. I still expect that you will see them pass early and often as they've had success in that. The wrinkle that may be thrown in there is passing the ball more with in, inside the 20 because I think Alabama looks at the, tail, the, the tape of those last two games. They're going to notice that. They're going to stack the box and really play heavy on the run inside the 20. That's where you throw in the wrinkle. That's where you prey on the linebacker weakness, especially getting the ball across the middle, which Kelly Bryant has done a good job at this year. Yeah, and that's, that's really where number 13 can come back to, to hurt Alabama. We know he's successful. Um, but Ben, I want to talk a little bit like, you know, I hope we're running a lot of dra- a lot of a lot of plays inside the 20. I think the key of this game, at least on this side of the ball, is going to be can Clemson sustain drives and actually put ourselves in position to be there. And that's actually something I want to talk about just from like the whole spectrum of the game. I think you're going to see or I think for Clemson to be successful, it's going to need to be methodical, kind of surgical play calling that gets it done. Kind of short bursts, getting ahead of. Um, not short bursts, but um, you know, kind of methodical three, four, five, six yard. Staying ahead games. of the chains. Staying ahead of the chains, certainly. And, and that's how Clemson's found success this year. You know, we keep talking about the downfield passing game. That's not necessarily going to be the way to beat this Alabama defense. Right. Um, yeah, as Cody mentioned, it's kind of a, a dink and dunk type operation, getting the ball um, to your playmakers and letting them do the job. Um, y- you know, I think specifically one of the main things that we're going to look out here with Alabama trying to bring pressure, again, with the linebackers uh, taking a hit, they're down one sack a game this year. There's no elite pass rusher in the in the linebacker core on this football team, so you're going to see a lot of delayed blitzes, a lot of blitzes coming down from the safeties. So Kelly Bryant's going to have to be smart. Um, he's going to have to be open to going to his second and third options um, and take care of the football. 
Um, and, you know, I think that's one of the keys to winning the game is staying ahead of the chains. We don't want to get behind the chains. Earlier on this year, Clemson had, had drive stalling out because of one play on first down where it ended up second, third, and long, and that really killed drives. You're not going to be able to do that against this Alabama football team. You need to capitalize every opportunity you have. Yeah, and when I was thinking about this specific matchup, like what's the Achilles heel of Clemson's offense against this Alabama team? And for me, it, it comes down to explosive plays. And Clemson, that is not a strength of this team. What that means is they're not getting their their first downs and their touchdowns as much by gaining chunk yardage. It is that Clemson is very efficient. They are sustaining pretty solid long drives. That's how they make their bones. And Alabama is a team that, particularly in the running game, is not allowing a lot of explosive plays to happen. So if if Clemson can get got, if if we can be you know kind of stymied here, it likely will be because we cannot sustain those drives and we're not getting hitting explosive plays. So but I, I do want to say the one area where I, I think Alabama does have a little bit of a weakness is passing explosive plays. And this could be where you can exploit linebackers and or in man coverage if they're playing, you know, too tight in the press. Can you see Ray Ray McLeod with those back shoulder throws or Deion Kane actually get loose and kind of punish them? Um, we he's had he had a really solid game against them last year. Of course, he did not play two years ago. Um, so again, you know, I, I think it will come down to it at some point in this game, we're going to need Kelly Bryant to win, to win, or at least get, get points on the board with his arm. Yeah. And I can kind of see that. I think Clemson is definitely going to take uh, shots in the downfield passing game, but going back to the, the comment about, uh, giving up the big running plays. It's funny you mentioned that because Alabama's actually given up more than 100 rushing yards their last four games. So I, I still think Clemson plays more to what its identity has been all year long and tries to establish a running game with Feaster and Etienne and even Adam Choice. Um, and if, if they're able to do that, then I think we're going to be really su- successful. Um, again, let the let the downfield passes come. At worst, Kelly Bryant's throwing it out of bounds, overthrowing a little bit, but he's not giving up interceptions. I think the real example I've seen of a running game be able to attack this Alabama defense and be successful there was in the Auburn game with Carryon Johnson before he went out with a shoulder injury. And um, that, unfortunately, Clemson does not have a facsimile or an or a identical type of runner as Carryon Johnson. We actually avoided him in our matchup, uh, fortunately, because that might not have gone as well. Um, but that is something you can't have a numbers advantage with Kelly Bryant being your running, being your runner. You would have a lead blocker in that that instance you'd have kind of a numbers advantage sure. um, so that can help I kind of agree with you but sort of early on you know going back to you talked about us getting the passing game going early um, yes if it works I think we can't afford though to have you know we can't incompletions. be one, yeah we can't be one-dimensional um, and right. I think again you've seen this Clemson team come out early the past few games and, and throw the ball a lot and Kelly Bryant's been doing really well so I do see that as a big part of this game again they're not getting as much pressure on the quarterback this year. That's going to allow Kelly Bryant a lot more time in the pocket. That gives him uh, more opportunity, especially for a quarterback who's still learning, to sit back and, and take a look at his options. They're going to be, you know, you hear all the everything coming into this game, how uh, Minka Fitzpatrick is going to be locked in on Hunter Renfro, and they're really going to try to lock him down. Well, if you're trying to lock down Hunter Renfro, and then you have a spy on Kelly Bryant, and then you're trying to to um, cover the other array of wide receivers that Clemson has. That's a lot to pay attention to. So something's going to break down, especially when you have injuries and one of the key parts of your defense and you have young guys in there who aren't as experienced, maybe just as talented, but not as experienced and don't know the scheme as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the big thing in in the first two to three series is figure out what yards are available and go and get those. And that's something that Clemson did last year. 
you know, it, it didn't necessarily at the time feel like we were, we were, you know, super successful on offense, but you did have Wayne Gallman getting those two to three yards on first down and, you know, taking big shots in the process and Deshaun scrambled a bit. He took some hits, but we were moving the chains enough to just, you know, keep, keep drive sustained. And that added up over time and kind of the, what I wanted to talk about with Clemson's offense here also was let's go back to what worked for us a year ago. If right. we can sustain drives and continue to keep this offense on the field and defense on the field, can we run up the play count? Well, and it's kind of an offense and defense thing because in as much as the Clemson defense can keep the Alabama offense off the field, that taxes their defense more having to be out there. Right. They, again, have some injuries that depletes your depth. Wear this team down. Grind it out. Be methodical moving down the field. The more plays you rack up, the longer they're out there, the more tired they get. Uh, Clemson's very deep, nine deep wide receiver guys they can throw out there. They got three solid running backs that they can rely on. So those guys aren't going to get tired. Those position groups aren't going to get tired as Alabama's defense is. So, yeah, I think that's a huge key to look at in this game. I, I, I don't see Clemson try to go for the big shot um, on every possession. Methodically grind this out. I think that's the way to beat and wear down this Alabama defense. Yeah, for sure. I, I feel like the team that wins the third down battle – both sides of the ball, that's going to be such a key to this this game. Last year, um, I forget the numbers. I think Bama was like 2 of 16, something like that, on third um, when they were on offense. But um, we may find ourselves in a situation, you know, if this this offense works by sustaining long, methodical drives, we may find ourselves in a number of third and six, third and seven, third and eight, or even longer. And you've got to be able to, to convert those. Absolutely. So, you know, Hunter Renfro, again, is, is probably what everyone's thinking here on third down, but... Um, Cody clued me into this this kind of insider anecdote from Larry Williams over at Tiger Illustrated um, that was in the Miami game at, at one point. Uh, Miami was through a, dis- a disguise scheme trying to get uh, goad Kelly Bryant into, you know, hitting Hunter Renfro on third down. Um, they were going to have him double covered or try to, you know, um, at least knock the ball away, but try to pick it off because that's what they do um, generally in those in those leverage situations. Um, and Kelly Bryant wisely opted to throw into the man coverage to Deion Kane and later Ray Ray McLeod with some success. Um, so I think that th- that kind of thing, like not necessarily going with the thing we've done all year and relied on zigging when they want you to zag, et cetera, I think is going to be potentially a key here. But it, if nothing else, it was good to see that we can ach- gain those third downs in multiple ways. Yeah. And listen, they can guard Hunter Renfro as much as they want to with whomever they want to. This is what the kid does. He's a clutch player. He's a possession receiver. He's going to get his catches. But if the best he is in this game is a decoy, that's great. I'll yeah. take it. I can tell you this by reading uh, Alabama sites from fans and their writers. They don't respect this Clemson Rye receiving core. They think guys like Mike Williams, Artavis Scott, and Jordan Leggett left and left nobody in the cover, left the cover bare for Clemson. That is not the case. Clemson's got Ray McLeod, who's playing very well this year. They have Deion McCain, who turned the game last year. And they've got a bevy of other um, you know, skilled receivers. I, but, but one of them is going to have to step up, whether it be – uh, the aforementioned Kane or McLeod or even DeAndre Overton, a guy like that, somebody else is going to have to step up uh, for Clemson to be successful in the passing game. But I, I'm really positive about that. I think getting the ball to these receivers on the outside, really spreading the field, and you know Alabama is going to try to force you in, right? They want you to run up the middle. Uh, so in as much as we can get the ball out on the edges into our playmakers, and that includes um, getting uh, Tavian Feaster and Travis Etienne involved in the passing game, you get those guys outside. Listen, Alabama has suffered from missed tackles all year long. They had 13 
missed tackles in the Auburn game. You give these playmakers, Raymond McLeod or Travis Etienne, if you mm-hmm. miss a tackle when you have an opportunity to take them down, they're going to be gone. Yeah, I wanted to ask, I mean, we've been sort of subject to the O.J. Howard um, experiment, if you want to call it that, the last couple of seasons. Hunter Renfro has sort of been our answer to that, the kryptonite to, to Alabama's defense. Who do you think is the offensive X factor for Clemson this year? Obviously, Kelly Bryant, you know, he's got to have a good game, but outside of that. That's a good question. I think Deion Kane is underestimated and overlooked at this point just because he did not maybe have the breakout year that we thought he was. Now, I think he led the team in receptions, um, uh, but he wasn't as dominant. He had some drops. He wasn't as effective in the downfield passing game. But in as much as he can turn that around or has turned that around here with these few weeks off, I think he's a guy that could really um, unexpectedly come under the radar in this game and have a big one. I mean, again, he made a big play in the national championship game last year. He's been there before. He's uh, a, a more of a veteran on this team. So I, I look to him to having a, a positive impact if he puts it all together. Yeah, I, I'm going to go more so in the running game. If we can get out of Tavian Feaster, you know, 85, 90% of what, um, carry on Johnson gave Auburn, um, in addition to Kelly Bryant's mobility and what Clemson can do in other ways. If Feaster can have just that, you know, next level game as, as, as a lead running back. Hey, don't, don't forget about ETN. He's playing at home. He's, he's, he's in his backyard for this game. So, you know, I, I think a one, two punch from them, bringing in Adam choice, uh, kind of dispel them on, on certain plays. Yeah. Or certain drives. I, I think that's, uh, that's gonna be very important in this game. But I, again, I think you have to be varied. I think you have to be multidimensional in this game, and that's what I think you're going to see um, out of this Clemson offense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, either way, I think one of the points I want to hammer home here is this is not going to be the the Alabama defense that got pushed around against Auburn. They've got some guys coming back, and you know, really what what we saw in the past couple years with Clemson's team, what Alabama was experiencing in that game, I think is just the matter of fatigue when you have a defense that is lacking at depth in a lot of positions, you guys have, you have guys playing a lot of snaps and it starts to add up and build up. Um, but as we experienced the last couple of years, then you get this layoff and you get fresh legs and you get these guys back. I think this defense is going to come to play. Um, you know, the top playmakers that I see on their side, having an impact, everyone knows about Minka Fitzpatrick. Everyone believes that they're going to um, stick him on Hunter Renfro, like white on rice. We'll see about that. Um, he he does a great job of actually not only covering his guy and guarding his guy, but actually using that coverage to sort of take another couple players out of out of the play as well. Um, Rashawn Evans, he started last year at linebacker. Uh, he's going to be anchoring this unit. Then again, is is injury ravaged, but he's he's a really solid playmaker. I think especially in the in the running game, you know, Rashawn Evans is going to be someone that plays a role. Um, we need to figure out how to how to navigate that. Um, and then Deron Payne on the Bama side, defensive tackle. Um, he's just he's a beast. And we I think the the matchup, um, whatever, whatever, wherever he decides to line up here, um, probably against one of our guards. That's going to be probably one of the biggest matchups of game within the game that I'm going to be looking for. You still got to feel really good about this Clemson offensive line. I know we I mean, I think Alabama's defensive line is the best part of this defense and it's funny that we haven't really talked about them at all but we just feel so comfortable with what Clemson's offensive line has done all year long they've gotten better they've done really good in the running game the pass protection has been solid all year long um so it's not to snub the Alabama defensive line but I just I don't see them uh being the part of this unit that you know, wins this game on the defensive side of the ball for Alabama I think it's going to have to come more 
um, from their linebackers and safeties. Again, they're gonna they're gonna run out a lot of man coverage on these Clemson wide receivers. So remember, you got one guy on Hunter Renfro, you got one guy on Kelly Bryant. That doesn't leave a lot um, to cover Clemson's talented, speedy wide receivers. Again, I go back to Kane. If he can get behind the coverage on a couple plays, and as I mentioned, I think we're being methodical, but to the extent that you can get one or two big plays, that's going to go a long way towards demoralizing this Alabama defense and helping Clemson win the game. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we've covered this side of the ball a good amount, Ben. Any other parting thoughts, you know, keys to this, this matchup? Um, well, one other thing I'll say just to tack on to the end of that, watch out for Clemson's use of forward wide receiver sets in this game. Um, Alabama is going to quickly run out of guys to cover Clemson's receivers. Yeah, I think maybe uh, something that hasn't really been um, an arrow in the quiver for this offense too much has been the use of Mylon Richard at tight end, um, or p- potentially Greenlee. I'm not sure if he'll see the field too much in this matchup, but um, do we see Mylon Richard, you know, if, if we can find a little bit of rust in that linebacker core, and they show that they're susceptible, but Renfro isn't necessarily the option. Can we get Milan Richard involved? Yeah, maybe that's something that Tony Elliott has kept in his back pocket this year is getting the ball to Milan Richard. I mean, when Milan Richard has gotten the ball, he's shown the ability to have good hands and catch, and he's also shown the ability to run some guys over. So that's an interesting point. You might want to look out for that too. Definitely. Well, uh, that kind of summarizes at least um, our thoughts here on Clemson's offense, and namely Alabama's defense. That is the strength of their team, as you commented on, Ben. And let's move now to the other side of the ball, Clemson defense and Alabama offense. So here on this side of the ball, I think the Alabama offense, uh, they come in ranked. I think they're in the mid-teens in S&P Plus efficiency uh, when it comes to offense. And a lot of that has been anchored in their running game. Um, They are a one-man show when it comes to their passing game. It's really the Jalen Hurts to Calvin Ridley combo. Um, Judy is a decent wide receiver, but really it's when you look at the number of targets and the number of receptions, it's really been Calvin, Calvin Ridley. Um, so ultimately they've gotten where they've gotten, they've won their 11 games predicated a lot on their running game. And everyone knows they bring back Damian Harris. He had an exceptional year. Um, Jalen hurts led the team in rushes similar to how Clemson had Kelly Bryant. And you of course have the cyborg Frankenstein of Bo Scarborough coming in who is actually their second leading receivers with 14 catches. So that goes to tell you how much Alabama relies on their passing game. Yeah. To have that basically their backup running back uh, lead, you know, being second interceptions. Right. So uh, they're a very run heavy offense and Jalen hurts is certainly capable of uh, getting things going in the running game. He actually has a considerable number of um, 10 plus yard runs and 20 plus yard runs um, and that's something that we haven't necessarily faced the type of quarterback that can do that since Lamar Jackson, um, who, you know, had Clemson did a great job containing him. Alabama's O-line is significantly better than Louisville's, just different type of weapons here altogether. Um, but Jalen Hurts, I, I kind of see his his running ability as one of the biggest liabilities for this Clemson defense in this well, game. It's funny, though, because reading through Alabama uh, sites, they actually prefer him not to run more. They prefer it if the other running backs on the team have more carries than he does because they think they're more successful. You know, Alabama is a lot like Clemson in the running game in that they give four guys an opportunity to run the ball. Now, it doesn't seem to have been, or at least to their liking uh, for Alabama, as successful as it as Clemson has found it. 
uh, again, they complain more often when Hertz is running the ball more. And I think you do want Hertz to run the ball more for a couple reasons. Um, one, that means he's taking hits. Two, that means those monster running backs don't have the ball in their hands. So I think that really helps a lot, too. And also, if you can get Jalen Hurts out scrambling in the passing game, um, that essentially takes out one half of the field. So I think Clemson wants to focus more on putting the ball in Jalen Hurts' hand and making him win the game uh, with his legs on the ground and through the air with his arm. Yeah, I think the latter is really this, – this has to be the game plan coming in is keep those running backs between the tackles where you can filter them in you know, the, to the front of that, to the middle of that front, um, on Clemson's side. And, you know, if you do get into run pass option situations, sell out to stop the run, sell out on the running backs, um, even at the detriment of Jalen Hurts opting for the pass and kind of gaining some yardage through the air that way. I think I'd much rather need to rely on our secondary to kind of clean, clean things up in the passing game. Yeah. And linebacker like Dorian O'Daniel getting right. back in coverage or even, even uh, Austin Bryant, frankly, to be Brian and Farrell. That's been huge. I mean, their ability to set the edge as well. Again, like you said, funnel, funnel guys into the middle of that Clemson defense. The teams that have challenged Alabama this year have the teams that have uh, given them trouble in the trenches. FSU, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, LSU, and Auburn. Um, specifically, look at Auburn. Auburn was able to rush for almost the entire game, and they were able to get pressure um, and relied a lot on the quickness of their defensive ends. Well, guess what? Clemson has really quick defensive ends, and they also have really quick defensive tackle in Kristen Wilkins and a behemoth in Dexter Lawrence. Yeah, they don't really have, speaking about their O-line, they don't really have, it's not you know the same offensive line in terms of experience. I think they've got the talent, they've got the stars certainly up front, um, but from an experience standpoint, they, they just don't necessarily have the, what they've brought in years past. Um, and they have shown that they can be, you know, at least matched up well against by an, an aggressive defensive right. line. And, I, and Clemson has the best in the country. Yeah. And I think the matchup to really look at here on the defensive line is the matchup between um, their guard, Bradley Bozeman uh, versus Dexter Lawrence. Bozeman's a fifth year senior. He's a second team all American and he graded out this year to 99% proficiency rate. Now, he gives up 25 pounds to Lawrence, and I don't expect him, I think it's unrealistic to expect him to grade out in this game. From an Alabama standpoint, he just needs to be consistently better than Lawrence. Do I think that happens? No, I don't, because you know Dexter Lawrence has the experience two years in now. So between that and his size and him being healthy, um, I think that that's going to overcome the experience and talent of Bozeman. Listen, Dexter Lawrence... Clemson will be successful. Dexter Lawrence gets a big push early on, which would in turn force Alabama to double-team him. And when that happens, that frees up your defensive end, like Cleveland Farrell, to clean up. Yeah, I mean, it's this is where we need to have the, the most talented aspects of our defense you know, come to bear. And I think that's where not allowing Scarborough, not allowing um, Harris to cut outside, um, you just bring them back in. Um, Ben, I, I want to also ask you, from a from in terms of containing Ridley, do you feel like that's going to be a Ryan Carter assignment in, the, in this game? Um, yeah, I question that. I think it. I don't think they're going to flip Carter on sides of the field. I think he's going to stay on the, the side of the field he's normally on, and whomever, whichever side really, whosever side Ridley goes to, that's who's going to be covering him um, with some help over the top from a guy like Tanner Muse. Um, I don't think Ridley is going to beat Clemson in this game, and I don't see um, another Alabama wide receiver uh, beating Clemson in this game. The only caveat to that is if they can get one of their tight ends going, 
again, neither of them, uh, between Hale Hintages and uh, Irv Smith Jr., neither of them are O.J. Howard, but that is an area where if, if that, that's a wrinkle that could come out that could give Clemson some trouble. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think that's, though, the, what you want to deal with, or what, what that's the poison you're going to pick, ultimately, if you're Brent Venables in this defense, the, the defensive mindset coming into this game is stop the run, sell it out, stack the box, um, figure out what they're able to get and kind of course correct for that. But make make them beat you with some of their secondary receiving options, even tight ends. Which I don't think can happen. And listen, they're 34th in passing success rate. They're not that great of a passing team. Jalen Hurts, very similar to Kelly Bryant, is not that great of a passer. Now, I think Kelly Bryant's a better passer than Jalen Hurts, so we even have the advantage there. Um it's sort of similar to we just got done talking about Clemson's offense and staying ahead of the chains and having to navigate thirds and long. I think our game plan on defense has to be to put those put them in those same same spots. Same Absolutely. And, and, and Clemson comes in leading the leading the country in sacks, second best power five team in tackles for loss behind Miami, who we were only one behind them. Um, that gives me a lot of confidence here. Yeah. Again, Jalen Hurts is you want to put the ball in his hands, even though he's done really good at not turning the ball over this year. He only has one interception thrown, and he actually makes good decisions on his read when he has time. But the, to the extent you can keep the ball in his hands, out of his running back's hands, get pressure on him, flush him from the pocket, and then really lock down all those wide receivers and don't give him any other option but to get outside and run, and then maybe having a spy on him, and you know the quickness of the defensive ends and even Christian Wilkins coming across the line, that's where Clemson's going to find success in this game against this Alabama uh, offense. Yeah, I think you're right. And I don't know, you know, I, I haven't studied this team closely enough to understand have they been slow playing another OJ Howard? You mentioned their tight end talent. Um, maybe they do. I mean, they're, you know, they're they're as talented on offense from a from a star's perspective um, as they have been. And but, they're gonna come up with something, right? Yeah. Some and and one 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 wrinkle that could be is X Factor in their uh, running back. Josh Jacobs. They could try to hit, get him involved in the passing game. He was coming off an injury earlier in the in, in the year, so they did not have the opportunity to get him as incorporated into the offense as much as they would have liked. But now, given the time off, this is their opportunity to do so. So I would watch out for that. Yeah, it's it's kind of two things. Like, obviously, they're going to look for things that they haven't put on tape and try to exploit that. I think that's where, ideally, we've got a veteran defense that can make adjustments on the fly. Players that have really good awareness. You mentioned Dorian O'Daniel. He could be sort of an MVP type player on this defense in this game, uh, potentially. Um, and I want to ask you more on that in a moment. Um, but secondly, I think that you mentioned, oh, they will figure something out. I'm not as convinced. I think Brian Dable, their offensive coordinator, has kind of shown a reluctance to make the right adjustments, find the right mix of play calling. And, you know, with all this time off in this preparation, it's possible Nick Saban has tried to have a bit more influence over how they how they plan to call this game on offense, but um, I don't know that I'm as concerned about him as I was Lane Kiffin two years ago. Yeah, and I don't think it's any one magic aha moment that they're going to come in here and 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 kind of tweak the equation to figure out how to methodically run it down Clemson's throat or dink and dunk down the field like Clemson plans to do on offense. I think it's more so finding success with big plays, whether that be to Calvin Ridley um, or, or Jacobs getting free. And then also, you know, they're very, very good at, with their perimeter blocking by their tight ends and their running backs and their wide receivers. Um, so getting one of those guys, Scarborough or Damian Harris, uh, getting them loose on the outside. Clemson's got to play very disciplined. They're going to have to tackle well. 
um, and just try to avoid giving up the big plagues. I think that's the only thing, in, in my mind, I think that's the only thing that's really going to beat this Clemson defense. I think we both know Clemson's defense has to ex- execute at all three levels to really be successful in this game. Um, you know, this may be the weak link of Alabama's entire team is their overall what they bring on offense. But who in particular do you think has to have just an exceptional game on the Clemson side of the ball? Um, I think it's going to start with Dexter Lawrence. I expect a lot out of him coming back healthy. And I think if he can be hugely disruptive um, on that interior line and gets a good push, blows some plays up, helps stuff the running game, but also gets pressure on Jalen Hurts, I think that dictates what uh, the rest of the defense is going to be able to do. Um, this defense is predicated, or this offense is predicated uh, on the option and the run pass option. That, But what that does uh, do is it allows Brent Vittables to go back and kind of place guys in positions to take out a, a couple of those options and kind of force Alabama into doing certain things. And again, I think when you're when you're able to do that just from a scheme standpoint, and then you have a guy like Dexter Lawrence that's just blowing people off the line in the middle, that really is going to cripple Alabama's offense because it doesn't leave them with with much to do or much time to do anything. Yeah, I think um, someone that I think has to have a good game is going to need to be Dorian O'Daniel, um, just what the multiple ways in which he contributes. Um, but I would say probably one of the number one is whoever does end up, wherever they, they line up, Calvin Ridley, that matchup, Clemson's got to win more often than not because, you know, if we are doing everything we need to do at the, at the point of attack in the line and Dexter Lawrence is eating and, you know, the Clee and Austin Bryant are doing good things, but Hertz is able to connect with Ridley. It can negate a lot of that progress up front and be backbreaking for this defense. And Alabama can actually flip, flip it and make it a little bit more of a war of attrition on our defense and run up the play count on us. So I sort of feel like if we can make them one dimensional um, and eliminate the pass, you know, to that effect, um, that's going to be key. Yeah, make Jalen Hurts beat you. I mean, that's all I can they say. He can beat you without his primary option. Exactly, and yeah. I just don't think Jalen Hurts can beat this Clemson defense. It's too good. Yeah, I mean, he he does show up in big games and in big spots and big moments when they've been down. I mean, he pretty much single-handedly brought them back to win that Mississippi State game. We saw what he did against Clemson in the fourth quarter last year. You know, the guy's pretty cold-blooded, and, um, you know, I, I would love to have – more of a lead and not, not put ourselves in a position where we're relying, having to stop him at the end. I, I agree, but I'm, and I think this game could be close. I think both teams score under their season average. I also see a scenario where we get into this game and you start to realize like we felt many other times this year that this Alabama team's not going to be able to move the ball and have much success on this Clemson defense. Yeah, I guess compared to the Auburn game, right. Yeah, just in terms of like the odds of what outcome is kind of most most or more likely, I think a closer game, you know, uh, is much more likely than a than a clamp down Clemson. You know, they can't get anything done on us. But that being said, like, you know, I would say more likely. So it's going to be a, a one score game. I think that's like the most likely outcome. Next to that would be a two score plus Clemson win, and the least likely is going to be Alabama running away with this game on us just based on the quality and caliber of our defense. And I think the multiple multiple looks that our offense gives you as well. I would not be surprised if we're sitting there midway through the third quarter in this game, feeling like Clemson has it, uh, much like we have in the last two semifinal games. Yeah, wish I shared your optimism on that. I think it's going to come down to the last two to three minutes, probably, possibly even under the, you know, <laughs> probably not the last second as it did a year ago. Um, but then we have a play for that, right? We do indeed. Um, and we've got a guy for that. So I guess 
maybe we can use this chance to pivot a little bit to the coaching matchup, or at least not necessarily the coaching matchup, although we have talked a little bit about, um, I mean, we can go through, we've got a couple of Broyles award winners on the Clemson coordinator ranks. We have Jeremy Pruitt on his way out the door to Tennessee. You got Brian Dable, first year offense coordinator. Uh, Bama fans, not in love with either of those two guys. So I'd, I'd probably have to give the coordinator edge to Clemson. Um, you know, I, I don't want to sit here and do the Saban Dabo dance. Um, but what I will say is, you know, there's a lot of narrative right now going on related to Dabo, more from a legacy standpoint. And um, my good buddy Ben Freeman asked me, you know, kind of a mailbag question here, like, um, you know, if Clemson does win this game, has there been a passing of the torch of like the most elite coach in college football from Saban to Dabo? I'll give you my take on that. I don't necessarily think that that's that has happened yet or that would would happen, even if we blow Alabama out. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think it's more of a case where maybe Saban would be lighting Dabo's torch because I don't think Nick Saban's going anywhere. I mean, look what he's done with Alabama over the past few years. They're still in the middle of a dynasty. Um, yeah, you know, by all consideration and that, you know, everyone loves to do the, who's better than who game or who's the best in the world. Like, you know, I'm pretty sick of it on the NBA side with the LeBron Jordan stuff or who's the best player in the NBA, et cetera. Um, what is clear is that Dabo belongs in the conversation of the most elite coaches in this game. I'd put him ahead of urban Meyer right now. Urban Meyer's had talent for the past few years and he hasn't really taken great advantage of it especially in a Big Ten conference that hasn't been all that fantastic. And when you see sort of how a program is run and what, like looking over no further than how the, the coordinator coaches have been handled and everyone should read up on Tom Herbin and Urban Meyer's relationship and what's gone on there the last couple of years with the revolving door of coordinators um, is, is really interesting. So um, anyway, yeah, I agree with you on that point, Ben, about Urban. But in general, I mean, I think this is a moment where Clemson belongs. Clemson belongs in the conversation. Dabo belongs in these conversations. And um, we always harp on, we need to appreciate these as the good old days. These are the new good old days. And, you know, it can change. But this is also something where we may still be on the first part of a very steep ascent as a program. And it's it's special. I'm trying to appreciate it. Yeah, I, I think we have the benefit of hindsight, especially for us and people our age who were born right around or just after the first Clemson National Championship, um, where we really did not get to experience that. We only got to hear about that as the golden age of Clemson football. And then we waited so long, you know, 30, 25 plus, 30 plus years uh, to get back to that level. And now that we're in it, still fondly recalling those stories from our parents and older Clemson fans, uh, about the history of Clemson football and the fact that it had been so long, we know to to kind of really live in the moments. And I've cherished every single bit of this. Again, it's crazy that it's the new normal for Clemson to be here. And all the pieces, right? Everything had to go right. It had to be the buy-in from the university officials. It had to be, you know, just the trust in, in Terry Don Phillips and promoting Dabo to the head coach, you know, a wide receivers coach, former insurance salesman. Um and, you know, the, the encouragement and the the passion of the fan base has always been there. Um, but then again, the investment in the facilities, the, the recruiting certain guys coming along at the right time. Don't forget what Taj Boyd did uh, to this program from, from uh, Dabo's Dandy Dozen uh, recruiting class. And then these coordinators and the coaches, the coaching staff that's been able to stay together for so long, resist going to other jobs and really staying committed to Clemson. Um, it's, it's all had to come together perfectly. Um, 
and it sure has, and I'm really yeah. enjoying it, and I'm pretty sure most Clemson <clears throat> fans are. Well said. Um, all that being said, though, I actually view this game, I want to view this game in a vacuum. I don't know that you should read too much into Clemson winning this Sugar Bowl as some type of referendum on Alabama, you know, being on the downslope of their run right now either. Um, it's one game. No, absolutely not. I mean, you're on the, they're on the down, you know, side of their run if they lose a couple games and don't even sniff the playoff, right? No, they're, they're still very much in it. I don't think you can take it as that. At the same time, if Clemson loses this game, I don't really think we should feel like, oh, Clemson missed an opportunity here like we would have thought last year had Clemson not won it because this, again, was supposed to be the rebuilding year. Yeah, we're playing with house money. Yeah, we're supposed to be looking to next year is, is the year that we're possibly going to be back. And guess what? I'm still very confident that we are going to be back next year. Uh, so I, I, I think looking at it in a vacuum, I don't think a loss by either team really says a lot about either team's future moving forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, why don't we move into predictions um, for this game? And Can I say one thing real quick before we sure. go? We negated to mention special teams, and I would hate for this game to come down to a field goal and us completely blow it off. Uh, I do worry about the kicking game. We do not trust... Alex Spence, um, anything outside of 30 yards. I think you're going to see Dabo go for it a lot on fourth down if we're, you know, around the 30 or something like that. Um, so coming down to Spence, none of us want to see that at the end of the game. So I think Clemson needs to, I think that's part of the game plan. If you're up by like, you know, up by four or something late in the game, or you have the opportunity to go for two, so Alabama, or some situation where you have the opportunity to go for two, whereas, so if Alabama comes back and scores, they can't put you in a position where you need a field goal to win. You might see some game planning around that. And then also in the punting game, field position, Clemson has done very good at, at winning the field position battle this year. Clemson has a good punter in Will Spires. Alabama has a really good punter too. So I think that could be a key factor in the game as well. Again, when you're looking at both offenses that are going to, Alabama may struggle to move the ball and Clemson having to methodically move down the field and sustain drives. Field position comes up big uh, when it comes to that. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I actually foresee, I mean, it, it's a good question about how aggressive will the play, will the coaching staff be? And it's all dependent on, you know, where they are on the field and what the game, what the scoreboard looks like, et cetera. But I would expect Clemson not to be going for it much on fourth down and short, you know, kind of if, if we do see the defense being successful, containing Alabama's offense. All right, you know, let's. But let's, if we got the ball in the 30, and that's a 47 yard field goal, they're not going to throw. I know he made a 47 yarder against. Uh, and was it Miami or South Carolina? I can't remember which game it was, but that's the only one he said over 30 all year long to my recollection. So, I mean, the 30 is not a place where you want to punt the ball, right? I mean, especially if it's like fourth and two. Now, if you're like third and 10 from the third or fourth and 10 from the 30, maybe that is a time where you punt the ball or heck, maybe there's no harm in having Spence attempt a field goal. You risk getting it blocked. Right. Um, you risk a kick six. Um, but maybe why not give it a try then? But I, I think if we're anything like fourth and five or less kind of in that zone that you might see Clemson go for it. And I kind of go back to the, the sort of success rate formula and figuring out if you know we're in that part of the field and we're a little bit dicey to, to go for the field goal, you're playing calling on second into third down, into sure. fourth down, you would hope. You're, you're, you're playing like you have all four downs, right? right. Like you're going to use all four downs. It's a good yeah. point. It's I equate it in my crappy golf game to give yourself a short putt. Um, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't play golf. I <laughs> don't often have short putts when I do. Exactly. Um, well, yeah, let, why don't we get into our predictions here? I mean, 
I was actually um, thinking about this one more in context of the Rose Bowl. And um, we understand Georgia, everyone thinks it's going to be about establish the run, ground and pound. What if Oklahoma gets the kickoff and goes up seven? What if they wind up? What if Georgia finds themselves down 14, et cetera? Um, and I, I tried to think about that in the context of the Sugar Bowl. Like both teams matchups, both teams sort of, we want to we want to control the game in this way. And I thought about like, do we do we have faith? Do we trust Clemson to coaching staff and Kelly Bryant and talent on the field to be able to scrap the game plan and and adjust and come come through and win in a different way in an essentially be a multiple team. And I think we've seen it in a couple of times this year where uh, we found ourselves with a deficit. Um, Auburn and NC State come to mind. And so when the game plan has failed, you know, can they pick themselves up? And what I don't know is on the Alabama side, if they want to establish the run themselves and sort of, you know, win the game that way and we take that away, do they have the ability to do that if they find themselves down a couple scores? Yeah, I think Clemson's better off being able to pass the ball and come back in the game again, given the deficit that Alabama has at their linebackers, um, as opposed to Alabama to where they have to put the ball in the air. I don't think they're going to be able to do that uh, right. to come back just because they don't have the weaponry. They don't have as good of an offensive line this year that's going to give Jalen Hurts as much time. So I think if it comes down to a situation like that, I'd heavily favor Clemson being able, being uh, having more of an opportunity or ha- would find more success in coming back than Alabama if they had to go through the air. Yeah, I think something that was the hallmark also of this Alabama team a year ago was they scored – I don't have the number off the top of my head, but, you know, 11 plus touchdowns on defense last year and several special teams touchdowns as well. They haven't been as prolific this year. Clemson's actually scored quite a few defensive touchdowns this year. Um, That's also something that um, they do. They try to take care of the ball a good amount. But um, I think the turnover battle, I I actually don't expect that to, to play a huge role in this game. Um, just we take care of the ball they tend to as well yeah I think if you start to get to like a plus two scenario plus or minus whichever way you want to call it then it might start to become an issue but if one team if the turnover battle is just like a plus one then I don't think it's I think it's a non-factor unless it's like a crucial turnover near the end of the game with the game on the line yeah unless we are talking about just you got to have series to you know give yourself chances to score points Clemson last year ran 99 plays to Alabama 60 65 if you do get that t- sort of discrepancy of number of plays run, um, and that's when a single turnover can definitely swing a game. But, sure. Um, anyway, but I, but yeah. then I don't expect to see that either. I think you're looking at Clemson more like 79 plays this year. Yeah, for sure. So maybe we'll touch on that in a moment. I, I kind of, though, you know, I, I want to look at this 2017 matchup or matchup from the 2017 season and sort of calibrate it against the previous two. Um, two years ago, I was you and I were in the stadium together watching that game. And I felt like certainly there were a couple plays that went against us. But by and large, Clemson was making the plays necessary. We belonged on the field with them and kind of felt like we were winning the game on the field. Until the onside kick. Well, and and there were reasons on the scoreboard that that was not the case. We missed a field goal. Deshaun threw a pick when we were driving. Big kick return. Kick return touchdown. O.J. Howard. You know, these key moments swung that game. We found ourselves looking up at the scoreboard down and we lost that game, unfortunately. Last year, um, Clemson won the war of attrition, and we, we've said enough about the number of plays, and I think that's a phenomenal formula, especially for a bare-thin defense um, that Alabama has. And if I had to kind of pick which sort of style of game I could see this one going, I think I'd much more – unfortunately, I feel like the 2015 type of game 
feels like it's probably going to bear out. That's why I think just in terms of more even matchups and possibly some big plays deciding it uh, than Clemson doing what it wants and pushing Alabama around on defense, I would meaning our offense pushing them around. Um, I don't necessarily see that one playing out. But that being said, I do think Clemson's ability to not be susceptible to those big plays. I think we're in a much better spot on those than what we were looking like with, you know, TJ Green and J. Ron Curse. All due respect. Um, yeah. You know, making up for some of our lack of depth at the corner position um, and just everything that, that went down on special teams in that game, too. Yeah. And I totally agree. I mean, the fact that Clemson has been able to especially uh, shore up their kick coverage, you're not going to see Alabama pull off an onside kick. Uh, like they did two years ago. And Clemson has done a really good job at limiting big plays this year. They've gotten better and better um, over the past couple of years. Um, and, but again, like you said, it's those little things. If Alabama is able to connect on some big plays, uh, an uncharacteristic run back against Clemson kick coverage team, combine that with a, you know, a, a long pass, touchdown pass to Calvin Ridley, a big run. Uh, break, tackles. Yeah, 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 breakout by Scarborough or Damian Harris. Yeah, those are all little things that, you know, the aggregate of them as they continue to add up um, can beat you. So, I again, Alabama has their warts. They have their weaknesses. But you still have to pay, uh, play sound, smart football uh, to win this game because they're still that good, and they're a very well-coached team. So I, I said at the top, this game is a two-point, three-point Alabama. Uh, they're favored by three at this moment. I think it opened at two, um, so it's kind of swung a little bit in their direction. Um, maybe some more money is coming on Clemson here, but overwhelmingly, um, the odds are on Alabama here from a betting standpoint. Um, the over-under is 47. Um, so prediction time, where are you landing on kind of final score, flow of the game? Well, I'm not going to give you my final score yet. We'll release those as we customarily do the day before the game. Um, but what I will say is that I have Clemson in my mind right now as a two-score favorite. I don't know yet whether or not that's a double-digit favorite. I'm waiting on another mm. Alabama linebacker to get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> um, and over under on the 47, I'm going to go under right now just because I think this Clemson defense is really going to limit what this Alabama offense can do. Yeah, originally I chatted with Dozer earlier in the week, Alabama diehard, um, and we both fell on the side of the over. Um, we differed a little bit on the result of the game, but um, I actually am going to swing that to the under now. So Dozer, well. had, Dozer Al had Alabama beating Clemson 48 to nothing is what you're telling me. No, he, he picked an 11-point Alabama win, and he went over the 47. So he, he thought it'd be in the 50s, 50s plus. Maybe I'll say a 13-point Clemson win. 13, you know, with the first Renfro, and, first and last TD uh, to Hunter Renfro. Could be. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm leaning under as well. I think the likelihood of very excellent defenses winning over um, not as excellent, relatively relatively ranked in the country offenses is, is too strong here. Um, as well as I think there may be a feeling out period in the early part of this game where at the end of the first quarter, I kind of expect to have a little bit of a, a lower score than we would expect. So, um, but that being said, I mean, where I'm leaning on this game, kind of put your money where your mouth is. I am also predicting a Clemson win. I'm going to go ahead and say a, a touchdown win or more for Clemson. Um, and I think it, it's going to be, there's going to be stars across the field, but, um, when you open the Anderson independent mail on Tuesday morning, I think you're either going to see Austin Bryant or you're going to see, um, 
one of the two running backs, Etienne or Feaster, as the as the MVP of the game. Well, and listen, the, the fact of the matter is is that both teams have regressed heavily on offense this year. Clemson standing at the S&P, number 35 offense, Alabama at number 19, and they both still, though, have very good defenses, Clemson at two, Alabama at three. So uh, I, I think you're right. I don't think this is going to be a shootout uh, game in the 40s or even in the 30s for that matter. We had good defenses the last couple of years, and it was still high scoring, but... But, but we haven't had this defense, and I think yeah. this is the defense, the best defense that Clemson's had in recent memory. And Alabama's offense is not as good as they have been. They were the number five offense last year coming in. Now they were twenty four the year before that. Um, but again, some fluky plays in that game that we already talked about. So, yep. I think it's more so come down to defense. I don't think this game goes into the thirties, like I mentioned. I think that both teams score under their season average. We're averaging thirty five, right? Something like that, yeah. low 30s, around mid-30s. Alabama, although they have been limited offensive times, they have some huge blowouts against inferior teams. Ole Miss and Vandy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. that that's more the reason why their totals are so so high. But, yeah, I think it's more of a defensive uh, side of battle with Clemson's defense winning this game. Cool. Well, I guess, Ben, that means we will be doing a Sugar Bowl recap with Dozer coming on. Uh, he agreed to do that within 24 hours of – Alabama losing so we'll, we'll hit that next week hopefully Cody can join for that he might still be drunk hopefully preferably Dozer had a baby by the way I hear so yeah, congrats, congrats, congrats to him congrats Dozer I'm sure he's tuning into this um probably at an odd hour because the baby is probably up but they may still be in the hospital hopefully everyone's healthy happy and on their way home soon um but unfortunately that baby's gonna be 0-1 uh, I'm not gonna shed a tear Cool. Well, Sugar Bowl, good recap there, uh, or good, good, good preview. Ben, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the Rose Bowl matchup. Don't know how much you've kind of thought through that one. Obviously, we got a big one on our plate here um, in New Orleans, but um, I think it's going to be an amazing game, the Rose Bowl. And I'll definitely be recording that and probably rewatching it a couple times before our, our matchup in the Natty, hopefully. Um, but I think the where I'm leaning on this more and more is a pretty decisive Oklahoma win. Um, I think that all along people talk about Oklahoma's poor defense um, not being up to the challenge, facing good good offensive teams. And I just don't know that that's necessarily true. They have played um, pretty strong offenses all year. Yes, their S&P rating is in the 90s, I'm pretty sure, or at least the 80s. Um, but, but I think it, it's really more a matter of can Georgia keep up with that Oklahoma offense. And I, I do want to shout out um, SB Nation writer Ian Boyd put together an amazing film re- film preview of this game in terms of Oklahoma's offense. Um, and certainly if we match up against the Sooners, we'll be doing a little bit more in-depth coverage ourselves. Um, but I really think that Oklahoma has not only so many weapons, they have an amazing run game. Um, Baker Mayfield is just, he's strong. And yes, we beat him a couple years ago. Um, he won the Heisman. <laughs> this is Captain Obvious moment. But I think he, he brings so much to the table. Georgia, to me, feels very unidimensional on offense. And their strength actually can be a negative to them um, if they do find themselves in the deficit. They're going to have to abandon their strength um, to go and chase really this Oklahoma team with a freshman quarterback. So, I, you know, with Georgia, I think you said it earlier, it's kind of we're waiting for them to prove it. This will be very much be a prove it moment for them. Maybe they're on the upswing like Clemson was in 2015. And maybe they handle their business against Oklahoma similar to how we did. But I'm kind of betting on the side of, just offense in these playoff scenarios winning out. Yeah, we'll see. Um, it's hard for me to tell with Oklahoma. 
again, they'll put up 70 points a game until they actually play a re- real defense, and that's played itself out over the last couple of years. So um, I'm not sure really what to expect in this game. I haven't watched a lot of either team this year. Um, now that we've gotten through this preview of Alabama, I'm probably going to start digging into a little bit, um, looking into how both seasons have gone uh, uh, for each of these teams. Um, but you pretty much summed it up well. You know, with Baker Mayfield, we know what to expect out of him. And the key to beating Oklahoma is stopping him in that offense. And if you do that, I think you're going to be able to score enough points on their defense to, to win the ball game. As far as Georgia is concerned, um, even if they manage to get past this game, that could be because Oklahoma turns out to be a fraud, uh, much like they did a couple years ago and Ohio State did last year. Um, so I'm, I will still be looking for more out of them, and I think if they get into the, the national championship game, whomever they face up against, uh, whether it be Clemson or Alabama, they're just going to be at a huge uh, deficit um, just because they haven't been there before. And whichever one of the two teams between Clemson and Alabama gets in, they have been. They have the experience. They're a top-level team, and we, and we know what we get out of them. So personally, right now, I think the winner of the Clemson-Alabama game goes on to win the national championship. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, maybe he's talking about just the four and the, the two matchups that are happening. Each of the the years so far has had a semifinal blowout happen in almost every single game that's happened. And I actually don't I don't foresee that happening here. I guess the scenario where it could happen, you could have OU, very potent offense, get an early lead. Georgia can't get much going with Fromm. You could see that one escape into the, the two score plus zone and Clemson by two scores. But I, I think these are going to be very solid matchups. Probably all of them decided in the fourth quarter. I, I tend to, well, I tend to think they're going to be solid matchups that could well go into the fourth quarter. I think if there is a blowout, my guess would be more towards Georgia blowing out Oklahoma than any other scenario. I don't think Oklahoma is going to shut down Georgia's offense, and I don't think either Clemson or Alabama are going to blow one another out. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I guess the Rose Bowl is probably the one with the most variance of outcomes that can happen. So. Yeah, and, That's, and probably we're saying that just because we're not as informed on either yeah. of those teams, but their style of play is so drastically different, whereas Clemson and Alabama, um, especially with the quarterback play, tend to mirror each other um, a little bit more closely. And this is the third consecutive game that they will have played. Exactly. We've seen this movie before. Yeah, this isn't the wild card game. Right. Um, well, anyway, Rose Bowl should be awesome, as it always, always tends to be, and um, this one will, will be a little bit of a – a moose-bouche before the Clemson-Alabama Sugar Bowl. Um, we'll see how much we're able to focus on that game. But You, moves, you used a moose-bouche and quiver in this game. I just want to point that out. That's right. I don't know if you guys know. Uh, I didn't know this. I had to look it up because Cody said it a couple episodes about. I didn't realize a quiver was the thing that you put your arrows in. That's right. So that was a great uh, – is that a metaphor? It's a vocab moment. That's, yeah. 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 Metaphorical. Well, there you go. Not only do we inform you about Clemson sports, we uh, inform you about the use of the English language. <laughs> Indeed. A lot of value well, uh, that we bring. We will be recapping all of this bowl action coming up um, midweek next week, I would say. Um, give ourselves a day to recover from um, celebration. Are you taking off work Tuesday, the day after? I'm pretty sure I am. Yes, I put it on the calendar okay. just in, just in case. You yeah. know, it's a five o'clock game out here, and put it over about eight thirty. If we win, there's going to be some excitement. If we lose, there's going to be some uh, some consolation some drinks. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm thinking a noon start on Tuesday, maybe at the at the earliest. Yeah, at the very best. Exactly. So uh, that sounds good. Well, 
Thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, hope you enjoyed our preview of the Sugar Bowl. And again, we will be back with our recap show. Um, in the meantime, you know, continue, I think, to go back and look at some of our archival shows. We've released a couple of interviews now with Bama Dozer. Check those out. Um, Cody also caught up with ShakingTheSouthland.com's Quacking Tiger. They talked about the first early signing period, National, National Signing Day. Talked about Clemson's amazing recruiting class. A little bit about this year's team as well. Um, so go check that out. And and we also did a, a basketball, a little bit of a basketball preview with Sam, whom we're going to have him back on after kind of football shakes itself out here over the next couple of weeks. But um, yeah, we don't want to fail to mention the, the success of this Clemson basketball team. They're sitting at 11-1 right now, uh, right on the precipice of entering, entering the top 25 in both the AP and the coaches poll. So a lot of excitement around Clemson basketball. Beat South Carolina. We beat them in all four sports this year. Um, in the past calendar year, so that's always a good thing. Um, so yeah, be on the lookout. We'll bring to you some basketball talk, but we got to get through this football uh, playoff first. Yeah, absolutely. With that, thank you again for listening, and go Tigers! And I'm so, I'm so happy for our family. It's not, it's not. This is not for just us. This is for the Taj Boyds, the Stephon Anthony's, the Grady Jarrett's, the New Hopkins, Sammy Watkins. Y'all built this. Y'all started this foundation. And all we did is build upon it. And we finished it. It's been 35 long years. Clemson, y'all been waiting 35 years. It's finally coming home, baby. It's coming home. They said we were a little old cow college from upstate South Carolina. That we didn't belong as one of the elite. They said our coach was just a cheerleader. They said our quarterback was second best, that our team was a fraud. What they say now. I'll tell you what they say now. They're saying that the Clemson Tigers are national champions, that they are the best because they beat the best. They're saying that Dabo Sweeney is a great leader of men, and that Sean Watson is the best player in college football. They're just telling us things we already knew. Then they called it an upset. They said that the underdog prevailed, that David defeated Goliath in one of the greatest battles of all time. But they've got it all wrong. Clemson is Goliath. And as the confetti rained down, the tears of joy were wiped away. Bright lights of Raymond James Stadium shined down upon the orange-clad faithful as they celebrated with their 2016 national champion Clemson Tigers. A team, a coach, a program, and a fan base that's been reminded since the dawn of this century that they didn't belong, that they'd never be good enough, that they'd never again ascend to the top of the mountain. What they say now. We were there for the Clemson. We were there in Miami for 70 to 33. We were there for the five people. And yet we still kept coming back. Because the Clemson Tigers never die. But we were also there for fourth and 16. We were there for the first BCS Bowl win. We were there for six 10 plus win seasons in a row. Three ACC titles, five division titles. We were there for Auburn, LSU, Georgia, Florida State, Notre Dame, Louisville, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. We were there for 56-7, 31 nothing, and we were there for 35-31. There for Alabama, when the greatest player in the history of Clemson football moved a Trojan horse down the field and drove a dagger into the heart of a college football empire. 
Yoda, drop the beat and go crazy. Blue Ridge no longer yawning its greatness, it's roaring it. From the mountaintops of the Appalachians to the shores of Lake Hartwell. From 93 to Centennial, from the West End Zone to the Avenue of Champions, on to Williamson, off of the bus, and up to the rock. Where a group of gritty, fearless, and dedicated sons of Clemson pledge to give it 110% before running down the hill and into the valley. The valley where the Tigers play, where the champions reside. The 2016 National Champions. The Clemson Tigers are back, baby, and they're here to feast. What they say now.